Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Eat well, move more, sleep more, practice, you know, be more grateful, make more love, right? Get, get light, like live as close to sunlight as you can, you know, out in the world, actually on our skin, in our foods, right? All of those kinds of things. And then, and then sequence in. So you spoke about hedonic engineering, like the art of engineering happiness, right? Sequence peak states, peer and periodize them just like you would for weightlifting, you know, have a once a day moment. It could be as short as three minutes of silent, you know, meditation or a heart rate variability app once a week, right? Shoot the moon a little bit more, right? That's the, the, the sort of quote unquote church experience. It could be for me, it's a stand up paddle on the river where I live on a Sunday morning, right? Once a month, go a little bigger, once a quarter, once a year. And you can periodize your moments of ecstasis so that you are skillfully stepping outside yourself to remind yourself, oh, yeah, it's a monkey suit and there's a zipper. Don't let it get encrusted and rusty. And and then let me have foundational practices that raise my physical system and increase my overall energy. And let me have non-ordinary states that inspire me, kick my ass remind me there's something more, knock me out of my rut. Stephen was talking about that lateral thinking and then kind of the benefits of that. And repeat. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Stephen and Jamie, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah it is really cool to have you back here. Um, you know, Stephen, we had you here very recently to talk about the neuroscience of flow, specifically because I've made references to it in my previous book. And funny enough, I, I've, I have an entire section dedicated to it in my upcoming book. So when you told me you had a new book um, that goes beyond you know what we had talked about in the past, I was kind of you know really really intrigued. And then I had a chance to read it, and I was like, holy shit, this is like a whole other level. This goes so far beyond flow. But uh, so where I want to start is by asking you kind of what prompted this book in particular like what was uh, the impetus that led to this after all the work that you've already done around flow well you know it came from it came from a, a couple of places one I mean, the first place it came from was you know jamie wheel's brain um he we we had been doing we've been running around the country before rise came out flow genome project was training people in high performance but we were primarily working with sort of C-suite executives, um, top action adventure sport athletes, really, really, really high performers already. And Rise came out, and we found ourselves talking to a much wider, more diverse population that, you know, went from, like, Morgan Stanley bankers through Silicon Valley, uh, high-tech, you know, giants through uh, the U.S. Special Forces, and it really didn't matter where we went, everywhere we went. We'd present on flow, which you got to understand, flow is an altered state of consciousness, and we're on stage, and we're essentially talking to people about the high-performance benefits of an altered state, which is a little bit bizarre, right, <laughs> in business context. Right? It's just, to me, you know, it's just a little strange, right? And you, you just got to say it out loud. And we'd finish these presentations, and people would start rushing up to us afterwards and going, oh, yeah, this flow stuff is great. It's amazing. I, I was doing a bunch of it, and I didn't realize it, and I'm going to integrate it more. But, you know, we're doing a whole bunch of other stuff. We are, you know, as a rule, everybody is zapping their, you know, brains with electrodes to induce, you know, transient hypofrontality and artificially stimulate flow so we can do better financial analysis on Wall Street or whole team is going to silent meditation retreats or whole team is going to tantric sex workshops, or whole teams are microdosing with psychedelics, and everywhere we went, like, we're talking about one non-ordinary state of consciousness, but people are sampling from the full non-ordinary menu, and I started to go, wow, this, this, this is, I, I wonder if we can put some numbers around it, and Jamie started to go, dude, I think we're looking at a revolution, and you know, we started working the numbers and Jamie started, you know, went on a mission and went everywhere in the world to figure out if we really were. And we came back together and went, holy crap, this is a lot bigger than we thought it was and really important. And maybe we should write a book about it. Hmm. All right. So I have an observation and, and I'm just curious kind of what both of you would have to say about this. And I was thinking about this as I was, you know, writing my, my uh, second book. And I kept coming back to this thought and I was like, wow, I don't think I ever understood what flow actually felt like until I had surfed. I mean, and I was 30, 30 years old, 31 years old when that happened. Like I could never look back at any of my life experiences, you know, between college and all the way to finishing graduate school where I could say in that working environment, I felt like I was in flow. And I'm curious why that is like, why is it that you could possibly go through so much of life? I, I feel like 
oh my God, to have gone through life without ever experiencing that would have been missing out on the fundamental experience of what it means to be human. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and I think that's kind of fundamentally the trouble with 21st century normal these days is that we have done such a good job. And if you really want to geek out about it, you can kind of trace the intellectual origins back to the French Enlightenment, you know, but this emphasis on reason, ration, empiricism, uh, separate uh, rational individualism, right, that we have just wrung the absolute last useful drops out of. And then, you know, you just alluded to going to, you know, a, a, a career in academia, you know, undergrad, grad school, all those kind of things, which fundamentally continues to reinforce and select for one specific channel of waking state consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it's fundamentally prefrontal cortex, highly engaged, beta wave activity, and you know, these days, usually kind of a drip drip of stress chemicals, you know, norepinephrine, cortisol, those kind of things. And for most of us, we don't even realize there's a knob to change channels. Mm-hmm. And so to step out of that, to have an experience that feel, you know, for you, it was, it sounded like, you know, getting into surfing and experiencing flow that way. Um, but for any of us to just, to just realize there are other channels that are both accessible and permissible and useful, um, is a bit of a sea change realization. And in many respects, that's kind of, that's, that's the, the thrust of the book. So do you think, you know, people are starting to pay more attention to it now than they have in the past because we finally have sort of the scientific evidence to back it up as opposed to sort of the anecdotal uh, conversations that people like surfers and extreme sports athletes were able to have about this? It's interesting because the truth of the matter is we had the scientific evidence 100 years ago. 100 years, 1902, William James, Harvard psychologist, philosopher, physician, God, you know, they, they, there are a lot of people who claim he's the only, he's the only legitimate American philosopher. Um, he's definitely the godfather of American psychology, published the varieties of religious experience, and he pointed out, you know, very, very clearly that a certain suite of non-ordinary states of consciousness, sort of stretching from awe and flow states through trance states and mystical states like out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, through meditative and contemplative experiences, he included philosophers having aha moments. That bandwidth, what I would call the bandwidth of experiences that are north of happy or the kind of the upper possibility space of human experience, um, those are all the channels Jamie was just alluding to, right, that you can switch to. And he pointed out 100 years ago, after 30 years of research, a massive research project, that, hey, these are revelatory states. They unlock levels of performance unaccessible at other times. They unlock levels of insight and inspiration unavailable at other times. They seem to heal anxiety, depression, trauma in ways that are substantial. He pointed all this out in 1902. We did a hundred-year detour around his ideas for a variety of reasons. Um, And here we are, you know, all the while, by the way, the evidence, you know, kept mounting and kept mounting and kept mounting. The real shift, I think there's a couple of real shifts in what we're seeing today is, you know, first of all, there's a shift in language. We now have language for a lot of these things. We can talk about them out loud and in public, and we don't have to resort to kind of new age mystical language that, is, that doesn't make as much sense. Right. There's a, science has provided, you know, maps of the territory for sure for the very first time. And it's, you know, e- even if you just want to talk about so-called mystical experiences, the list of mystical experiences that we have now used contemporary brain imaging to study, you know, starts at awe and goes through near-death experiences and speaking in tongues and take your pick. We've looked under the hood of all this stuff for the very first time. We've also gotten very, very clear on impact. And we've gotten clear enough on impact that we can now do comparisons. We can say, wow, turns out that these non-ordinary states can all heal severe trauma. The best example is PTSD. And we discovered through studies run by MAPS and a psychologist named Michael Mithoffer that two to three sessions of psychedelic therapy can completely cure PTSD in victims of sexual abuse, child abuse, or war trauma. They then re-ran that study with a 1,000 soldiers at Camp Pendleton, and instead of using a psychedelic, they used surfing as a trigger for flow. And they ran in in 1,000 soldiers, and they found that five weeks of surfing, which produces another non-ordinary state, can completely cure PTSD. And they re-ran the study with meditation and found four weeks of meditation does the same thing. So we're starting to, like, not only can we talk clearly about 
mechanism, or more clearly, mm -hmm. um, we can also talk about impact and we can compare and contrast impact. We've never been able to do any of those things before. And it's, you know, from a hacker's perspective, you're interested in making your own life better, right? We can now unlock levels of performance that were unheard of. And we're literally, you know, kind of beyond, as we say in the book, beyond the pale of polite society up till very recently, right? Forbidden knowledge. Uh -huh. Not some more anymore. So we'll get into all of that because I know you talked about advances in four specific areas, but there's another <clears throat> sort of observation and question I wanted to ask you. You, know, you guys talked uh, you know, early in the book about sort of the evolution of the human potential movement with things like Esalen, uh, Est, and Landmark. And you know, having been through Landmark, having done my fair share of personal development, I heard something that Dan Kennedy said um, in one of his seminars on wealth attraction. He happened to be sitting in a barber chair next to Warner Earhart, and he said, sum up the whole landmark thing for me in one sentence. And he said, we sell independence and we breed dependence, which I thought was really kind of disturbing considering, you know, many people go to landmark to make breakthroughs. And this is something that I have been really curious about. And I'm curious to find out what you guys have figured out might be an answer to this based on your work is I've seen this sort of vicious cycle of personal development where people don't actually experience change as a result of their efforts. Like they get separated into these three groups, which I call the people who would change regardless of whether they made the effort or not. The people who, you know, maybe this thing, this seminar, this coach or whoever it is will be a catalyst for. And then the vicious cycle people who are basically caught up in, you know, inspiration and new age bullshit, but nothing in their life actually changes. And I'm pretty convinced that those people pretty much fuel the entire revenue of the personal development industry. And so I, I guess the, the question really is, are we at a point now where we're going to be able to use science to bridge that gap between who we are and who we want to be? And are we going to basically be able to take somebody who might be ordinary and turn them into extraordinary human beings like almost Elon Musk-like, which I realize mm. is a, a whole landmine of questions. Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a bunch all bundled together. So one <laughs> felt like a potential critique of the info market or spiritual marketplace. Sure. Right? Yeah. We'd love to take a dive on. And then there's also the sort of perfectibility of man and do we have some newer, better mousetrap mm -hmm. uh, these days, right? So so the first thing is I, mean, I would absolutely, I think we would completely agree. And even though we gave Werner Erhardt a relatively even-handed treatment in the book, there's enough there's enough of our positioning there that I think you can kind of see our take on, on how it all goes down, uh -huh. which is fundamentally, you know, Maslow's pyramid scheme. You know, and you have a, you have a lot of... A lot of <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got a lot of, of money changes in the temple uh -huh. and you you have people that are co-opting their own brief whiffs or glimpses of transcendence of ecstasis what we would call in the book any of these states or experiences that take you literally outside yourself and no sooner do they have that glimpse whether it's i've gone to landmark and i start repackaging their shit or whether it's i've gone to a vipassana retreat or or down to peru for ayahuasca or or to burning man mm -hmm. and, the, and and no sooner am i having these epiphanies than i'm then i'm you know conjuring up my next facebook post <laughs> or my next info product and would like to offer just a giant fuck off to all those people because, because <laughs> that feels incredibly cynical uh -huh. and, 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 of, and of zero service, particularly to that bottom third of the of the, of the guppies, uh -huh. you know, of, of the folks that are having their insecurities played upon. And now you've got people camping out on the doorstep of the of the mystery, turning around and selling trinkets to the latecomers. And, and that feels, you know, insidious and, and in some respects, you know, mind boggling. And, and the dead giveaway is always, you know, check what these folks were doing five years ago. Uh -huh. Right. Were they doing something with neuro, neurobiology and consciousness or were they selling, were they pickup artists uh -huh. or were they selling the next business model or the secret? Yeah. And as soon as you see, you trace their lineages and you see, oh, they just sell shit to people. Then, then this is just the latest and greatest thing to, you know, latest bumper sticker to slap over it versus a, a career, a vocation or a, or a lineage practice. So I think there are an awful lot of landmines. There's tons of people rushing into this space yeah. and there are very few that are truly that are truly teaching independence. So the thing that we're you know, most interested in this is, is how do you get into this stuff? and stay content neutral because uh -huh. everybody's everybody's got a just so story about the way the universe really works or the way financial abundance really works or whatever these things are and they're usually all you know very much happy you know fluffy bunny just so stories mm -hmm. 
contingent on you forking over five grand or 10 grand for the next platinum titanium mastermind. And, and so there's always the hook um, to, to bring people along. So the question is, is, you know, uh, is there an operating system that we can all share and install that is content neutral, meaning go conduct the experiments for yourself, see what you find, N equals one, you are your own experiment, and honor and support autonomy, agency, and discernment in everybody. Because it's a slightly slower road. You know, you don't get all those behavioral economics, you know, psychological shell game, urgency and scarcity and all those triggers that the info marketers use so skillfully and quite often cynically. But you do get self self authoring human beings at the end of it. So it's a little slower to start with, but hopefully more stable and more enduring and fundamentally just feels better yeah. in the yeah. long yeah, it's like to add Sorry, the ahead, one, the one, the one, and it, to, to me, there are lots of great points in the book. Um, but to me, the most important one, and the stand we actually take, is for an open source approach, which is just what Jamie's been advocating for, right? When you, everybody's data counts, right? But it's just your individual experience. When a hundred thousand people are having the same individual experience, well, that's interesting. Let's take a closer look, right? But we want, it's an open source, big data approach um, that, you know, everybody has to get involved in because this stuff, it is really easy to take it into commercialization, to take it into militarization, to take it in a lot of unpleasant, you know, directions. And the only way to kind of battle back against that is an open source project. So sorry about the soapbox interruption, but I had to add that point. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate all, all of what you said because, you know, I was thinking to myself this morning, I was like, wow, I'm like if you look at really personal development as, as an industry and info marketers, it was like you basically either selling sex, money, or weight loss, <laughs> one of those three in some form or another. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and you know what? We're selling all those things, but you get the Ginsu knife. Mm-hmm. So it dices and it slices and it chops. Well, I mean, I, I think what I, I've always appreciated about what your work, uh, you know, does, and also people like Sean Acor, who's a happiness researcher, is that it's actually based in, you know, scientific evidence um, and not just a bunch of inspirational New Age bullshit. Yeah, and, and, and there is also that additional step beyond the scientific evidence, because, I mean, you also see kind of the, the emergence of sort of blogger neuroporn. Uh-huh. You know, where, where it's like, oh, and, you know, just throw throw around the word dopamine or oxytocin or whatever it is. And people just kind of, you know, wet themselves for 800 words. And you, and, and you realize that this, too, is just the, this, this is the the fad of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives people permission. And in a lot of respects, this is what happened to flow research back in the 70s. You know, so Csikszentmihalyi, University of Chicago doing legit research. And then suddenly every new age wannabe personal life coach adapted flow ran it into the ground missed all of the nuances and and really you know fundamentally kind of ghettoized the research and the, and the brand if you will so neuros- yeah by the way when we started i mean we started fgp literally um because it like it was in po- you, you could not fund the research in america anymore the door was just shut you couldn't do it inside of academia. A bunch of academics came to academics came to us and said, "Look, we can't do this, but we want to help you. So please do this, and, and, and we'll get involved." Because, um, like Jamie's, you know, pointing out that like when this went wrong, it shut down research. We saw the same thing with psychedelics in the '60s, mm-hmm. right? There was a thousand thousand peer-reviewed papers were published before psychedelic research was made illegal. Psychedelics as a potential cure for alcoholism, addiction, recidivism, as an expander of empathy, creativity, problem solving. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and it got mishandled and, you know, popularized, you know, without regard for skillful deployment. And, you know, it cost us 40, 50 years. And now, you know, finally, right, we're getting the first level of, of, of new research. And it turns out that, you know, a lot of what is wrong with us if we can change the channel on consciousness using psychedelics or other tools um, we can fix mm-hmm. but you know so the new the new age and the kind of rah-rah deployment that tends to go along with these kind of ecstatic technologies um, 
can be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Can shut these cut shut these projects down. Yeah, and 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 I would and I would say also that I mean for sure having scientific terminology and and evidence based research is immeasurably helpful, and. Um, and, and subject quite likely to the same degradations that we were just describing with FLIR research and psychedelic research. Mm-hmm. So to me, the most uh, interesting and exciting breakthrough that really does feel relatively new, newly emergent, mm-hmm. is that at this point, we now realize, oh, there are literally dozens of doors to walk through into these comparably non-ordinary states and experiences. Mm-hmm. Therefore, this has now become practice-based. So it's back to that experimental and experiential culture, which is just, here's, here's the cookbook, go do it. Don't just read about it. Don't just repackage it. Don't just sell it to other people. Go do it. Uh-huh. And, and then you'll know, and then we'll know that you know, and there's a conversation to be had thereafter because we've all got authentic data of our own. Yeah. So I want to talk about the advances in those four fields, but I want to go back to one other question. Um, I, I'm curious, I mean, does this open up the potential for us to have sort of outsized success, you know, at the level of sort of the people we look at as icons in our culture, like the Richard Branson's, the Elon Musk's, the Steve Jobs? I mean, is that, are we at a point where we can use biology and, and you know, the ability to hack our own brains to be able to perform at that level? You know, I've spent... 30 years essentially looking at how do people do the impossible, right? And whether it's top innovators like, you know, Elon and Richard Branson and Larry Page and Jeff Bezos and Bold or, you know, action inventor sport athletes or people inventing the future and tomorrow, you know, take your pick. Um, and across the board, you see a number of commonalities, right? One of them is, and this is not, you know, n- new discovery for Stephen Maslow pointed this out back in the 50s, um, Every successful person in the world has figured out how to change the channel on consciousness. They figured out how to utilize altered states, and and it, and you know you've you, you've read Stephen Fire. The, the numbers in terms of the uptick in what's possible um, is significant, right? Like the DARPA research on on, on soldiers uh, learning 470 percent faster than normal, then creativity going up. 400%, you know, those kinds of, those kinds of really big leaps. But what's really becoming revealed is that it appears that other states of consciousness, non-ordinary states are the very tool evolution designed for us to kind of optimize in this way. We have not paid attention to it, as Jamie pointed out earlier, because of the downstream impact of the enlightenment. We favor one channel of consciousness, the rational channel, right? And, you know, we've elevated to a pinnacle and, you know, it turns out that you have to change that channel to unlock these levels of performance. So, you know, does this mean everybody gets to be Elon Musk? A, I sure hope not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, really, like, I think diversity is, is, is the key here. Mm-hmm. Diversity of ideas is the key here. And, but I do think, you know, this is the upper possibility space of human experience. It unlocks the best in all of us, right? Use skillfully, and this stuff can go wrong, horrifically wrong. These are sticky states with, you know, dangerous downsides. Hedonism is a real danger here. Mm-hmm. Um, so these have to be skillfully deployed. And, you know, as Jamie also pointed out, it's a practice-based thing now. So there are lots of different tools. There are lots of different ways in, and we have way more knowledge than ever before, so hopefully we can kind of map the territory and not get so terrifyingly lost along the way, uh-huh. um, as we have a habit of doing. But, you know, that, that said, we, for the first time, we have a chance. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So this is a personal question just about my own sort of work and life. Um, You know, I mean, the first 10 years of my career, as most people who are listening know, were pretty much a complete disaster. Uh, Do you think the reason for that (laughs) is because I'd never experienced altered states of consciousness? consciousness? Because the contrast between that, that first 10 years and the last eight are night and day. Like, I'm a different person. Hmm. Can you give just a little bit of yep. color on what you assign the disaster to? What, yeah, I mean, what... I've been fired from every real job I've ever been at. Um, and every boss I ever had wrote me off as somebody who would either not amount to anything or not interested in controlling my own destiny. And, you know, when I, you know, and here I am, you know, eight years later, having published a book and done a lot of things that probably seemed out of, you know, the scope of possibility at that time in my life. Got it. Um, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, re- reductive short answer solutions are, are probably not going to get anywhere sure. near the whole truth of it. Yeah. Um, but one thing, you know, that we that we discuss in Stealing Fire is, hey, these non-ordinary states, and, they, and it tends to be surprisingly similar, regardless of the mechanism of action, meditation, flow states, psychedelic states, you know, you, smart tech, biotech, all of those kind of things tend to get us to that similar spot. And once we're in that similar spot, we often have an experience of selflessness. So we drop our waking state consciousness and our inner critic, a sense of timelessness. We, our attention focuses into what, what, what researchers will call the deep now, uh, a sense of effortlessness, meaning, and so this goes to your point of, you know, bosses saying you might never amount to anything, right? A sense, a sense of autotelic or self-propelled meaning. So not willpower, not grit, not gotta have to must, but just can't help but will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, richness, meaning access to extremely you know, boosted amounts of information. And that information often, because we make lateral connections, we have insights, breakthroughs becomes inspiration. And then that inspiration you know, cycled over time and brought into our lives and put on the ground in stable ways can become integration. And so if in the last eight years, you've been experiencing, you know, more frequent lapse 
through that selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and richness. Mm -hmm. And you've been able to get more motivation, more information, and more inspiration than I would imagine that that's, you know, part of what's fueling your books, part of what's fueling a lot, a lot of the platform you're building Mm. now. Yeah. I mean, I get to have conversations with people like you every day. Um, and there's been more than 700 of them. So I always wondered what has happened in my brain as a byproduct of all these conversations. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's do this. Um, I, I want to get into uh, four specific areas because I know you dedicated four chapters specifically to these areas, which I thought were just fascinating and I think people would find really informative. The advances that are being made in psychology, neurobiology, uh, pharmacology, and technology. So um, one, you know, obviously two, a couple of those terms are, are very clearly defined. We know what those are. But in cases where people may not be aware of the terms, can you define them and also talk about the specific advances that are being made in those areas? Sure, absolutely. Um, Jamie, why don't you start? Why don't you jump in with psychology since um, you, were, you were the one who saw the big picture here um, and, and you paint it well? Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, the first thing, and this is one of those kind of, it's like a creeper buzz, you know, we almost don't notice the, how much our own psychology has expanded in the last half century and given us more room and permission to really kind of explore and integrate a far, a far more kind of expansive version of ourselves. So, you know, we, we tell the story, you know, many things are easily started kind of at the end of World War II, that kind of post-war era. But if you think of 1950s America, it was basically straight-jacketed versions of selfhood. You could kind of be the strong, silent masculine, and if you weren't anything other than that, you repressed it. You could be the happy Susie homemaker, and if you weren't like that, you medicated it. I mean, the whole Rolling Stones tune, Mama's Mother's Little Helper, you know, all that kind of just, here's your cardboard cutouts. Um, If they don't fit, tough shit, and everything else is marginalized or pathologized or repressed. And out of that, right, came the Beats in the 1950s, so the Jack Kerouac on the road, Allen Ginsberg and Howell, all this sense of like, hey, there's something more passionate and primal that has been paved over in this kind of, you know, suburban Levittown um, Americana. We're fighting to break those walls down. That then continued into the burgeoning kind of hippie movement in the early to mid 60s that intersected sort of accidentally or coincidentally with the advent of access to widespread psychedelics. Right. And you ended up with, you know, by the late 60s and and early 70s, kind of the explosion and birth of the human potential movement. And, you know, you alluded to Esalen, the Esalen Institute, which is in Big Sur, kind of it's been known as the Harvard of the human potential movement. Uh, Mike Murphy, George Leonard, Dick Price were some of the founders and leading lights of that space. And they really thought, oh, wow, there's not there's not actually a lid or a ceiling to how powerful and how capable humans can become. And from that, and and that, that sort of really set up the investigations into the true human potential. I mean, it's become a catchphrase now, but literally what is possible? And they looked to the East, they looked to the yogic traditions, they looked to uh, athleticism, they looked to all these different places where there was evidence that people could do the extraordinary. And interestingly, when we were talking about this before we jumped on the call with you, but obviously uh, Werner Erha and Est, which then became Landmark, that many people are familiar with, um, did something pretty interesting because Esalen, for all of its kind of reputation as a bit of a hippy-dippy place kind of later in its history, in the early 60s, in the late 50s and early 60s, when it got founded, it was actually remarkably focused and sober. Um, I mean, Mike Murphy, Dick Price, George Leonard, those guys were badasses. They were academics. They were intellectuals. They moved in academic and intellectual circles. They had lots of crossover with politics, governance, all sorts of things. And then it was just a bunch of hippies having to show up at the hot springs. So it was, there, there's this classic irony with with the Esalen culture that the people who founded it ended up with a tribe gathered around them that really was completely anathema to the thing they were trying to accomplish, which was much more sober, much more disciplined uh, than than the kind of hippie movement that sort of overran the place in the 70s and 80s. And so the thing that's interesting about that is like that was a very cool initial step, but it was quite highbrow and quite limited. It was very much, you know, academic, intellectual and Eastern in its orientation. So they were very scholarly and they were going deeply into the Eastern ascetic traditions um, as well as the academic strands. So that did not reach the masses. 
And it wasn't until we had Werner Hart asked Landmark, basically, basically all of the precursors to Tony Robbins and Awaken the Giant, or, you know, to Eckhart Tolle with Oprah, this kind of progression where now the spiritual of the side of the human potential movement was recast in the Protestant work ethic, was recast in the American tradition of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever you can believe you can achieve. And we had this very unique hybrid. It's unique almost, I mean, it, it is now rippled out around the world, but its origins are quintessentially American, which is blending spirituality and materialism. And so there was all of this wonderful expansion of self greater possibilities for me to consider and try on different expressions. I can try rage, I can try shame, I can try anger, I can try bliss and joy. I, all of these things are allowed now, um, but then also got coupled to the, the, the Protestant work ethic, got coupled to health, wealth, and happiness. And that's really the innovation or mutation that has pushed it, has pushed you know, sort of broader psychology out to you know, tens of millions of people that would have otherwise never come across more formal lineage wisdom traditions or structured academic analysis. Wow. So what about the neurobiology piece? The neurobiology piece, and you sort of, I mean, the other three forces as well, pharmacology, technology, um, what we're seeing kind of across the boards is just a whole new suite of tools for unlocking these states. Neurobiology, uh, the field of neurotheology, right? The, the use of brain imaging technology to study spiritual experiences sort of dates to work done at the University of Pennsylvania by a guy named Andrew Newberg, uh, uh, who is a neuroscientist and a psychologist named Eugene D'Aquilly in 1997. And they decoded the experience of oneness with everything or what's known as unity that shows up pretty much in every spiritual tradition on earth ever in history. Aldous Huxley called it the perennial philosophy, et cetera, et cetera. William James said it was fundamental, the most mystical experiences. And from that point, 1997, so up to that point, like pre-1997, if you walk into a doctor's office and you say, doc, I'm one with everything, they are locking you up in a padded cell. 1997, Andy Newberg figures out, oh, wow, there's a part of the brain that actually separates self from other um, that has to do this so we can kind of walk through space without bumping into furniture. So the self ends here and the rest of the world begins here. And in profound moments of meditation, when there's lots of focus and concentration, this part of the brain goes quiet. And the brain says, oh, my God, at this one moment, you are one with everything because that's what it actually believes to be going on. So the greatest kind of cosmic mystery in history is slightly decoded. Like we know why this is happening in the brain. It is now 2017. We are, you know, 20 years later and we have now decoded pretty much every experience you can think of, right? And we have this past year or past couple of years, we got the very first look at what LSD does to the brain and you know it, the, I mean, the, it, it proved what our, we already knew it's mind expansion though you would technically call it network expansion but we literally like oh wow when all of these states take place the brain makes far-flung connections regions that are normally incommunicado strike up conversations they form alliances they paved the way for the you know future collaboration known as insight and creativity and problem solving. Right? We can we now you know have mapped all of these things. So all you know it's happening. Technology is expanding to, and, and allowing us to do this. The neurobiologists are getting a deeper and deeper handle on what's going on in these non-ordinary states. The pharmacology is allowing us to kind of tune these states with increasing precision and gain access to them on demand. And as a result, you've got four accelerating forces that are unlocking some of the most controversial and misunderstood terrain in history. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the pharmacology piece, I know, Stephen, you and I talked a little bit last time about, um, you know, cognitive enhancers like modafinil. And, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting kind of what you talked about in the book about it and how it's almost like cheating. But then you also see, you know, this sort of entire industry of nootropics coming up, um, you know, 
things that people like Dave Asprey are doing, uh, things like the guys at Nutribox are doing. And I am just curious kind of what role all of those things play in the pharmacology aspect of being able to hack these states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's, again, this is max maximum hype cycle for all things stackable (laughs) and and neurotropic. Mm -hmm. And really as much as anything else is because people can put things in bottles and sell them to you at whatever price they can convince you to buy. Because the stock reality is, is that if you've got a placebo effect that is anywhere between 30 and 40%, Mm -hmm. and you've got FDA approved drugs like Zoloft that barely perform more than three to 5% above a sugar pill, right? That's your low end, right? Straight up placebo, zero cost and zero side effects. And then you're like, okay, so what is going to meaningfully beat placebo effect by 10 to 20 points or more? And you're like, okay, very quickly, you are in schedule one, schedule two chemical territory. Mm -hmm. And so the gap in between those, the kind of thing that you can get without a prescription at a minimum, that is available online or in your local Whole Foods that is going to demonstrably shift your performance and not just be incredibly expensive urine is a very slim stack, despite the hundreds of millions of bucks that are getting made right now from people geeking out on this stuff. So, so you know, I would just, you know, it's not, it, no one will say this out loud because everybody's got skin in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but fundamentally, keep your goddamn money, people. And, and put it to work on, on, on much more simple things. Whole foods, life adventures, you know, philanthropy, the least of my brothers and sisters, you know, simple shit, mm-hmm. saving it away for retirement. But, but don't just flush it down your toilet on the off chance you're going to turn into Superman overnight. Mm. All right. So that <clears throat> sort of takes me to, to my next question, which is really about the practical application of all of this. There's a, a section of the book where you say, by treating the mind like a dashboard, by treating different states of consciousness like apps to be judiciously deployed, we can bypass a lot of psychological storytelling and get results faster and often with less frustration. And the question that left me with, of course, was, okay, how? And it kind of, you know, took me, I believe, into what might maybe that the answer to my next question is exactly the answer to this question is that you you talk about this idea of hedonic engineering. So I was wondering if you guys could expand on that and talk about sort of bringing everything that we've talked about on a theoretical level into a context of practical application in our daily lives. Yeah. Um, Stephen, you want me to take this one? Yeah, take this one. You're, I mean, more, more than any, I mean, you did spend, you know, 15 years, you know, tr- putting people into these states, uh, you know, in the real world uh, while, while I was reading books. <laughs> you should speak to this one. <laughs> like, yeah, yes, please. Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, the simplest thing. So that notion of, of moving from operating system to user interface is really just as simple as saying, hey, for most of us, we've been born and raised you know, conflating one-to-one that who I am behind my eyes, living my psychological narrative and story equals me wholesale. And after you have enough experiences of ecstasis, of stepping outside yourself, you have to conclude because once you've stepped outside yourself and you're still there, you're like, oh, I guess I wasn't that version of me that I thought I was, that old monkey suit, right? So that, first of all, just repeat that experiment enough until you trust it. And that's and that's you know true for insight meditation. It's true for you know most of the wisdom traditions around the world. How whatever their techniques are, right? So first, get wrap your head around that, and then you're like, okay, so what do I do with my psychological self once I realize it's not the whole show? And that's when we do we can say, hey, instead of spending a hundred percent of our time thinking egoically, psychologically, linguistically, I can reduce that. I can whittle that down to about twenty percent. And I can just use basic maps and models for communication and occasional virus scans to make sure I'm not making shit up or going off the reservation. And then I can spend 80% of my time and bandwidth just monitoring my biopsychosocial self system, the rest of me, right? And instead of like, if I feel down or sad or grumpy, most of us will look around, we'll scan our life. And we'll find the reason we could be a person. It could be an event. It could be the traffic. It could be Obamacare. It could be my, my <laughs> husband. It could be the dirty socks. It could be whatever it is. And I say, that's why I feel this way. And then we energize that narrative, right? And we engage in bullshit games people play 
to try and seek pleasure, avoid pain, have our have our narrative validated, and move on through our day, right? I mean, that's how most of us work most of the time. And instead, you could be like, oh, feeling cranky, quick, check hydration levels. Hey, how about vitamin D exposure? Hey, how about cardio and musculature and diet? What's my glucose level in my blood system? So we can just change ourselves almost kind of in a Mr. Spock sort of way and shift the wallpaper of our minds. And it's arguably a longer lever at a more foundational level of our existence. And some of it is not sexy or, or at all. It's just basic common sense. You know, eat well, move more, sleep more, practice, you know, be more grateful, make more love, right? Get, get light, like live as close to sunlight as you can, you know, out in the world, actually on our skin, in our foods, right? All of those kinds of things. And then and then sequence in. So you spoke about hedonic engineering, like the art of engineering happiness, right? Sequence peak states peer and periodize them just like you would for weightlifting. You know, have a once a day moment. It could be as short as three minutes of silent you know, meditation or a heart rate variability app once a week right? Shoot the moon a little bit more, right? That's the, the, the kind of quote unquote church experience. It could be for me, it's a stand up paddle on the river where I live on a Sunday morning, right? Once a month, go a little bigger, once a quarter, once a year. And you can periodize your moments of ecstasis so that you are skillfully stepping outside yourself to remind yourself, oh yeah, it's a monkey suit and there's a zipper. Don't let it get encrusted and rusty. And, and then let me have foundational practices that raise my physical system and increase my overall energy. And let me have non-ordinary states that inspire me, kick my ass, remind me there's something more, knock me out of my rut. Stephen was talking about that lateral thinking and then kind of the benefits of that and repeat. And we can literally kind of sculpt a life where instead of, am I happy Am I sad, psychologically speaking? I can just say more energy, less energy. And what is the most skillful and efficient means by which I increase and tune that system? Wow. <clears throat> well, um, this has just been mind-blowingly cool and uh, really, really not just, you know, educational, but also very entertaining and, uh, you know, makes me wonder whether I should be going out and trying some psychedelics. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, like, you know, for anybody who has not read the book, uh, I can honestly tell you that it's just so meaty that there's so much in it and you'll have to re revisit some of these ideas over and over again. Um, so I have one last question and Stephen, I've asked you this question in the past, so I'm curious to see kind of how you'll answer it, uh, again, and, and both of you will answer this, which is how we finish all our interviews, um, at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Well, I mean, it's all in how you love the chase, Right. That's the that's the real center of it is the chase of this the the, the journey the the process of it so really how much fire and light and energy and love you bring to the chase and how much you you know as Josh Waiskin would say you got to follow your funk or Bruce Sterling said you got to follow your weird right I mean there is there is no one path towards greatness or unmistakability right there there it. There's, it's an end-to-one sample. You are your own path. You are your own perspective. You get to do that. So I think, you know, how much you 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 love the process of doing that because there's no there there. There you're never going to arrive. So I think what makes somebody unmistakable, right? Where I see them and go, oh my God, I have to have more of them in my life, is they're fully committed to the chase with their heart. So that's my answer. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, so, so Stephen just said the follow your weird, right? So it's sort of almost the exceptional, the outlier. And, and I would sort of echo it, but with the exact opposite um, perspective, which is, uh, I think, Osho, that kind of that, that crazy wisdom guru who um, got in all kinds of trouble. He once said something along the lines of, you know, um, being being odd or unusual is, is a dime a dozen, but but the ordinary man, the truly ordinary, meaning integrated in every way, is is actually the most extraordinary of all. And and so I think that you know the possibility for us to be pursuing almost that Greek ideal of anthropos, 
right? And, you know, a perfected man, uh, sort of uh, Leonardo's uh, Vitruvian man, that sense of absolute integrated balance, body, mind, spirit, right? Vocation, relation, um, profession, all of these things firing on all cylinders. Uh, on the one hand, it is, it is utterly average. And yet that average is, is one of the most extraordinary things we can pursue these days. Hmm. Well, uh, you said it better. <laughs> well, this is, this has been really amazing as I expected, uh, it would be, where can people learn more about the book, uh, and, and learn more about both of your work? Stealingfirebook.com is uh, where you can hear about the book, and you should definitely go there because we are running a little bit of a pre-sale campaign with some amazing goodies. Um, so that was my two-second advertisement at the end of your podcast. I apologize for the gratuitous advertisement. <laughs> um, stealingfirebook.com, but really they're great goodies. Um, also, flowgenomeproject.com. And you know, please go to the Flow Genome Project. There's a free flow profile there to tratology and it basically says if you're this kind of person you can find flow in in these directions and maybe if you would have found the flow profile long before you had to wait into your second act um maybe it would have sped that process up a little bit who knows yeah, so well, that I'm, was actually gratuitous advertisement number two <laughs> snuck in there so now you, you like how i did that right yeah well i mean they're, they're you know i have no problem with these gratuitous advertisements because they provide a tremendous amount of value like i i'm gonna go look at that profile right after we get done <laughs> awesome um awesome. Well, i can't thank you guys enough this has been just fantastic and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that next time on The Unmistakable Creative. I think a lot of it comes down to community, and this will probably come up several times in our conversation, sure. but really having people around you who see the best in you all the time and invite that person to show up continuously. Mm -hmm. I think especially my freshman year, so I went to Santa Barbara. It was the 15th choice on my list of universities, and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and that first quarter was certainly harsh and was really lucky to have really awesome suite mates, really awesome people on my floor, and people who were there from you know my high school and then people I just met. And I think being able to have a community like that, that's like you're not an F up mm -hmm. <laughs> and you really are here and you're meant to be here. And, you know, if I didn't go to that school, my whole career trajectory would be totally different. Yeah. And so really, really fortunate that I didn't, you know, just leave and be like, this is not for me. I need to go somewhere else. But really, you know, sticking it out and just going through it and making the best of it. And so um, community is a really, really important part of things. Christine Lai joins us to talk about tapping into communities to maximize profit, potential, and happiness. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.